Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Prose is made for people not hair and skin types, personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I used the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. Chapter 34. The Forest Again. Finally, the truth. Lying with his face pressed into the dusty carpet of the office where he had once thought he was learning the secrets of victory, Harry understood at last that he was not supposed to survive. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, Vanessa's favorite chapter. This week's local group is in Atlanta, Georgia, and it is called Make Love, Not Horcruxes, and it is led by Emma Har. (laughs) And you can find out more about that group and all of our local groups at harrypottersacredtext.com and clicking on Get Involved. Oh, my God, Emma, that's incredible. Love, Make Love, Not Horcruxes. That's beautiful. But there's one more important announcement, Vanessa, which is that your book is now on sale and I just pre-ordered it and all of our listeners should too. Yes, it's available for pre-sale now. It comes out on July 6th. It's called Praying with Jane Eyre. And it's the story of how Harry Potter and the Sacred Text came into existence, at least at the beginning of the book and everything I've learned from treating text as sacred. Interestingly, there's a chapter in the book on the theme of hope about this chapter that we are covering today. It's such a beautiful book, Vanessa. And I will say two things. One is that it's you at your most wise and insightful. Like I really felt you 
saying things that were very true about the human condition. And you share beautifully about your family and about your own life. But it's also you at your most funny. Like, I laughed out loud a number of times reading it. So I highly recommend it to everyone. And as someone who's gone through this, let me say how important pre-sales are. And so if you are thinking about getting the book, please do get it in these months leading up to July. It's a huge indicator for bookstores whether they should carry the book. And of course, that means people will see it on the shelf. It's a huge indicator towards potential people will write about it. So this is an amazing way that we can support Vanessa and the book out there and help people fall in love with the idea of sacred reading, not just with Harry Potter, but with Jane Eyre and all sorts of other wonderful fictional texts. I will say if you can't afford the book, just call your library and ask them to carry it. And if you can afford the book, pre-order it and then call your library and ask them to carry it. Love it. (laughs) I think my mom is calling every library in the Los Angeles metro area. (laughs) So, Vanessa, we are turning to this theme of reunion and you have a story for us. I do. And I can't tell you where I heard it. This is like a third hand story. I called my mom to ask her if it was true. She was like, absolutely. The story is true. She remembered the same details as I did and some new ones that I didn't remember. And neither of us can remember where it's from. So I'm sorry. (laughs) But it's such a great story. So the story is about three women who I don't know. So I'm making up their names. There's a woman my mom's age. And so we will call her. Emily. And then there's someone my grandma's age, and we will call her Anne. Yes, I'm naming all these people off of Bronte sisters. (laughs) So Emily and Anne are at a bar mitzvah, and they are in line at the buffet. And Emily looks over at Anne, who's, you know, a generation older than her, and notices her concentration camp tattoo Mm. and sort of gasps and says, oh, my God, you are one number off from my mother, Charlotte. Wow. And Anne says, that's uncanny. Like, where does your mother live? And she says, well, my mother is here. She's at the bar mitzvah. Let me go get her. And so Emily introduces Anne and Charlotte, or thinks she is, and the two women recognize each other immediately. (gasps) And it turns out that they have both been living in the same community in Florida for the last 50 years, but have not seen each other since the concentration camps. Wow. And what I will say I know is true, right, is that like my grandparents ended up at the same synagogue as people who they were in Auschwitz with. My mom's parents and my dad's parents were in the same concentration camps and survived, right? Like these kinds of things absolutely happen. Yeah. And I think what's so special about those reunions is that it makes sense. People who were deported next in line to each other were deported from the same town. And so, of course, they were next to each other in line. And then one person immigrates to Florida and then there's like a Hungarian Jewish community in Florida. And so when you are deciding to immigrate to the United States, you're like, oh, I've heard that there's a large Hungarian Jewish population in Florida, right? That these reunions are so special and they feel magical. And yet I'm not sure that any of us ever entirely leave each other's orbits. And so reunions to me are at least sometimes a gesture to the fact that we've never really been apart. Mm. Mm. Like these two women were always from the same town. They always both survived. They were living really similar lives in Florida. They knew the same family that was going to bring them to this bar mitzvah together. 
it makes you wonder how many rooms they were in together at the same time and didn't know, right? And so I'm interested about that because in this chapter, we see Harry get reunited with versions of the four adults in his life who he loves the most. And to me, the question again with reunions is, have they ever really been apart? At least this incarnation of Sirius, Remus, Lily, and James. And yeah, as you said, this is my favorite chapter. I just love it so much. I love the reunion aspect of it. I love everything about it. So I'm really <laughs> excited to jump into it with you. I'm really compelled by this idea that reunion is less about people who've been apart coming back together, but people who've been with us all the time, maybe becoming more real or more present in some way. Because there are plenty of times I might have sat in the same subway car as someone else, and then the next day we're back together, or three years later we're back in the same subway car. But like... I don't notice because they didn't mean anything to me. This is a really provocative question. I'm looking forward to thinking about that. But before we do, Vanessa, let's remind each other what happens in this fabulous chapter. Should we reunite with the facts of the chapter? <laughs> they never really left me. Okay, Casper, I will count you in. All right, here we go. On your mark, get set, go. So Harry realizes he has to die. And so he's walking through Hogwarts, um, but he's putting himself under the cloak because he doesn't want to be disturbed. And then he sees Neville and Oliver Wood and they're carrying Colin Creevy. And it's very sad. And he's like, wait, Neville, you have to kill the snake. And, and Neville's like, OK. Um, and then he sees Ginny. He's like, I love you, but I can't touch you because I'm underneath his cloak. And if I touch you, I will want to stay. And I love you. And so he leaves. And then he walks through the forest and he overhears two Death Eaters. And they're saying like, oh, Harry's not going to come. So he's like, hee hee, I'm here, but I'm not telling you. So he sneaks up behind them and he sees Hagrid like turning around on a spit in silence. And then he He's like, I'm here. You missed the thing that I love about the chapter. <laughs> I'm leaving that for you. Oh, <laughs> but you got, I think, like literally everything else. And one of my favorite moments is, of course, when Neville famously says, OK, <laughs> <laughs> Neville, you have to kill the snake. OK, got it. <laughs> All right, Vanessa, you've got 30 seconds. Are you ready to roll? I'm ready. Three, two, one, go. So Harry's like, oh, my God, I don't want to die. The grass is beautiful and Ginny is beautiful. And then he realizes something and he takes out the snitch and he goes, I am about to die. And out of it comes the resurrection stone. And so his mom and dad and Sirius and Lupin come out and they, he's like, is it going to hurt? And Sirius is like, no, it's quicker and easier than falling asleep. And he's like, will you stay with me to the end? And they're like, yeah. And then he drops the stone and they're not with him till the end. So like that was a lie. <laughs> but it's this very sweet moment where they all get to be reunited. And I love it. Oh, God, I hadn't even thought about that, that the reunion is really only for a moment. I mean, we can start there. Yeah. I think that that's one of the thing about reunions is that is that it's about an end, right? If you're reuniting with someone, you are aware of the fact that you can be parted from them. And so I think part of what's beautiful about them is this yearning to make it last. I feel like if you're reunited with a friend who you haven't seen in 10 years, you're like, let's swap phone numbers. Let's get back in touch. There's this like desperation with it. I lost you once before and I don't want to lose you again. Mm. And so I love this moment between Harry and his dad where Harry asks with the resurrection stone, are you going to stay with me? All he wants is to be with his parents and Sirius and Lupin. And James makes this promise that he can't keep. He says that he will stay. And it's just not true. And I just think that's so beautiful, right? That it's a parent's desire to take away pain and anxiety from a child so much so that they think that they're going to be able to pull it off and they can't. 
It's so interesting that this is the moment when we see the Resurrection Stone come back because we've seen the damaging power of the Resurrection Stone before in the past. You know, when we go back to the original three Peveril brothers, the one who was bringing back his lost love ends up taking his own life because he wants to be with her, right? Like he gets caught in this in this middle space of these these figures who are not quite ghosts, but also not living. But for Harry, the reunion doesn't have that, I guess, the risk. Because you can have a reunion with people who were really a wonderful part of your life at some point, but you don't want to go back either to that time or necessarily to that context because you've grown into something else or maybe... You know, as much as you love them, it, it wasn't a healthy place for you to be. And it seems like this reunion, because it's going to come to an end so soon, and it, it comes to an end even sooner than Harry thinks because he ends up dropping the stone, it's a healthy reunion, right? It's not one that drags him into the past or that drags him away from his life as it is and can be. Yeah. And I think that that's a testament to these four people. They say so little and they wait for him to talk. One of the questions I had when I read the book for the first time was like, where's Dumbledore? But I think it's so interesting that Dumbledore does not show up in this moment. And I think that's because the only people who show up for Harry are people who aren't going to tell him what to do. They're going to just love him. And I think on some level, Harry doesn't conjure Dumbledore because he's like, I don't I don't want you here. (laughs) Right. Like you're going to tell me to go faster or you're going to give me a strategy. And I want people who are just going to smile at me and tell me they love me and tell me it doesn't hurt and tell me they forgive me, right? Yeah. It's such a tender chapter. And I think we see that tenderness very, very clearly when he walks past Ginny and desperately wants to be with her, wants to kiss her, right? He loves Ginny. And yet he's making the choice to not interrupt what she's doing and to not put her in an awkward situation of of having to try and save him when he feels like he has to die. There's a generosity in that moment because it's an avoided reunion, right? Like he doesn't go back to her. It's a one-way encounter. So I don't know, it's making me think sometimes not stepping into a reunion is the more generous thing to do because of what it will bring up for someone else. I think that's right. We see that a lot in the world, right? Where One person will want to stay friends with the ex and the other person will be like, no, that's too painful for me. And I think that it's up to the person who wants to be friends to walk away and say, I want to reunite with you, but I don't want to hurt you. So I won't. But Casper, the thing that strikes me most about this reunion of Harry and this sort of these four adults is, I mean, my favorite line in all seven books, which is their presence was his courage. Mm. And that is the kind of reunion and the kind of afterlife that I believe in. I believe that if we give ourselves permission, we can allow, even in people's absence, their presence to be our courage. Mm. Like Harry could say, like, what would my mom be doing? And he could have imagined Lily smiling widely And his father saying, you've been so brave, right? Like he could do that work himself. And I think it's why I love the practice of sacred imagination. We can do that with people who either are far away from us or who have passed away. It's so interesting you say that, Vanessa, because I I was talking to a monk friend of mine yesterday and we were talking about the difference between spiritual practices that are about creating space or calmness or quiet 
And sacred imagination is the opposite. It's one where we're seeing the fullness of something. We're not trying to quiet the mind. We're trying to stimulate it as much as we can through that practice of imagination. And so I love that you're helping us remember that actually it's it's through the fullness of our imagination that we can find that presence and find that sense of the realness of those memories, the realness of the presence. And Harry, of course, has a stone that, you know, he, he really sees them. But I think each of us has that capacity, perhaps, with practice to kind of conjure up those memories, conjure up the face of a beloved one, right? Saying particular words to us. Whether it's hashtag real or not, we feel the comfort of that voice. We feel the love of that person, which makes it real enough for me. And it's beautiful to see what it does for Harry because he keeps walking. He's able to see through this most difficult task that he's been set. And to that point, it makes me wonder if the magic of the resurrection stone is real or if it's a placebo effect. Because the four ghosts just say things that Harry really wants to hear, right? That we know aren't necessarily true. We know that not all death is quicker and easier than falling asleep, that they're not going to be with him till the end, right? Like they're almost a mirror of Erised. They -hmm. are saying what Harry most wants to hear. I mean, maybe the magic of the resurrection stone is real. It's just not actually resurrecting. It's like bringing forth the image of what you want people to be and not Hmm. what people actually are or something. They just, they say too perfect of things. I think that's right. Because again, going back to the original Peveril story, the middle brother is hearing everything that he wants to hear. And anyone who's in a relationship after some time (laughs) will have moments where they're like, geez, like you're so annoying, right? Like at some point you just want to walk away from the ghost. (laughs) If it's real, right? If it's actually a real relationship. And there is something striking about the fact that both the Peveril brother and Harry die right after they engage with the resurrection stone. It's like you get, confronted with whatever this is and you walk to your death maybe for different reasons but they they do both walk to their death that's true although i have to say when i was reading it i was thinking so much about the invisibility cloak because of course we have all three hallows within very close proximity now we've got the resurrection stone harry has been wearing the cloak and voldemort has the wand And again, I was thinking about Voldemort's name, right? Running from death. And so often we point to the difference between the two of them being about love. Does Voldemort love? Does he experience love? Does he give love? No, Harry does. But to to be honest, the thing that really struck me as the key difference for the two of them is when Harry realizes that he has to die, he lets death come, which makes him a worthy inheritor of the cloak, right? That's what the youngest Peveril brother does. When he realizes it's time, he lets death come and they leave as friends. And so I think more so than the echo being of the second brother with the stone, it's an echo of the third brother and Harry's acceptance that he's not running from death as Voldemort has. It's also this beautiful kind of connection to his family lineage, right? Because this thing has been passed down from from parent to child through these generations. I love that. And it's funny because I sort of think of this golden snitch as... It's been this thing that Harry's been like knocking on and seeing if he has the right code for throughout the book. And the thing that opens it is just like the most hopeless sentence in the world. Yeah. I am about to die. And I'd like to think that similar to the Marauder's Map, it's about a sentiment that 
is the password, not the actual words. Oh, I love that, Vanessa. That actually the words could change, but it's the feeling that the words embody. That's so smart. Right. Like it has to be someone who like wants to do something silly and mischievous with the uh, Marauders <laughs> map. It doesn't have to literally be I solemnly swear I'm up to no good or how the heck did Fred and George figure that out? <laughs> and I don't think Harry literally has to say I'm about to die. Right. Like I think he could say like, I'm so scared. Please help. Um, you know, I wonder. But what he's not asking for is for them to come back forever. I mean, it's almost the like 20th year high school reunion kind of reunion, right? Like I need you to come back for a moment to remind me who I was and who I am. And then I probably won't talk to you for another 10 years. And I think Harry wants this reunion. He doesn't want to live with this version of his mom and dad. He wants his real mom and dad. He doesn't want to live with this ghost of Sirius, right? Like he, I think has entirely believed Dumbledore about like, it does not do to dwell in dreams, but he he just wants this brief reunion with them. He wants the reminder. It's almost like looking at a photo album. He wants that feeling of like, I am loved. There's two things that strike me. One, just as you said, photo album, I'm thinking of Hagrid, who's of course present, who gave him a photo album at the end of book one. But the other thing is that Dumbledore putting the stone in the snitch and making it so difficult to get to was a protection. Because if he'd just given the stone, you know, they would have been in the Forest of Dean and Harry would have been with these ghostly figures and would have just, I think, drifted. Because kind of like we talked about in, in the last chapter, sometimes we just want to be anywhere but our own experience. And and I think these kind of ghostly figures would have taken him away from, from his daily life and the mission that he inherited. Yeah. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Casper, I just got a wonderful wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it, but I cut off over a foot of hair and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I used the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, <laughs> but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. 
Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. So we have to talk about another reunion, right, which is Harry is getting reunited with Voldemort. So they haven't seen each other since the beginning of book seven. And like there has been this cat and mouse game of Voldemort searching for Harry. And Harry keeps like being able to escape, able to escape. And there's like so much emphasis in the chapter about like Harry is choosing it. And I'm like, is he? It doesn't feel like a choice to me. It feels like a an acceptance. Although he is determined. I mean, he's like, we don't we don't hear him say, oh, I wish this or I wish that. It's saying this is horrible and I have to do it. There's a steadfastness, I guess. I disagree. He does say he doesn't want to go. He says he was marked by slaughter and that he like wishes he had more breaths to like smell the grass longer and to be with Jenny. Like he does not want this the other reason I love it because it's so sad. It's just so brutal. He's not given into this. He is doing it, but he's like kicking and screaming. He's dragging himself by the ear, kicking and screaming. But also, I want to interrogate that because I think that is why we as a society have all this language of like, well, you have to fight cancer. Because I do think that there are some people who, when it's time to die of cancer, don't want to fight anymore and are like, nope, I've accepted this. And we as survivors like can't stand that story. It's like, no, you have to fight as if there's any causation between fighting and surviving. There isn't. Real fighters die and people who give in survive. We know that death is not fair in that way. So I love that this chapter is like bearing witness to the pain of someone who's being forced to die in a circumstance that they would not choose for themselves. And I hate that this chapter is saying, oh, it's so beautiful that his spirit is fighting with him until the end. Hmm. Do you know, more than anything, I think this chapter shows us that it's all of that and more because we see so many figures first of all, dying, right? There's so many people fighting in Hogwarts, but there's also the little girl who Ginny is comforting who's like, I don't want to be here. Get me out of here. Like, I I don't want to fight anymore. I want my mom. Yeah, I want my mom. And there's Tonks who's like, I've just given birth to a baby, but I have to be there. I I cannot stay here and know that my husband is going to die. And she ends up dying next to him. There is no script. There is no path. There is no clarity. It's chaos and suffering. (laughs) That's all there is. And I think the crime is actually to try and find something clean within the messiness and within any individual. And that's, to me, what this Hogwarts battle scene indicates. Yeah. And I mean, and I love that you're pointing us to this moment with Ginny. I think that Ginny does a better job than the four ghosts of like, trying her best to not overpromise. I mean, it's just so heartbreaking. She says, but I want to go home, whispered the girl. I don't want to fight anymore. And what Ginny says is, I know it's going to be all right. And I think the reason that Ginny is saying, I know, it says, I know. And her voice broke. Like she knows that Harry is going to take care of it. She knows that the fighting is going to stop. 
And she knows this girl's pain, right? She's like, I don't want this either. My brother just died and I don't want Harry to do this, but he's gonna. Yeah. I'm not sure how this relates to reunion, Vanessa, but it feels important to say, which is that when Harry is leaving Hogwarts, you know, he he has this feeling that he wants to be sent home, just like the little girl that, that he sees, right, with Ginny. And then he has this mental reframe where he says, but he was home because Hogwarts has always been his home. And this time it just made me feel so aggravated or, or, or like I just felt the insufficiency of Hogwarts as a home. It, first of all, it made me super mad at the Dursleys that they make him feel so unwelcome in their own house that he feels like this school is his actual home. Like what a failure of care. And more generally, just the way in which you know, the foster system or even the adoption system, like how how broken they are. I, I thought back to our conversation with our friend Zach Kersey, who was on the show in one of the earlier seasons and who's a, a foster parent and later an adoptive parent. And just the hurdles that he and his family have had to go through to be the kind of loving home for kids who desperately need it and how there are so many more young people who desperately need loving homes so that they don't have to feel as abandoned so that, you know, a, a castle <laughs> far away ends up being the the place where Harry feels like this is his real home. I, I don't know, this time I was really disappointed that it had to be Hogwarts that had to feel like Harry's home rather than the home he grew up in. Yeah, I'm hopeful that although we can never go back and like make a better childhood for Harry, I'm hopeful that Dudley and Harry reunite and mm. create a new narrative going forward of what the next generation of like Dursley Potter love can be. Yeah, that's a really lovely thought because they are still cousins. They're still cousins and Dudley seems to be really trying, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's there's hope for a reunion. The final place I think we might want to pause with reunion at is this engagement between Neville and and Harry. Neville presents this continuation promise, right? And these two characters have been brought together from the, from the first moment. Their birth dates are so aligned that the prophecy could be about either of them. You know, they're both in Gryffindor. They're in the same class. They end up in Dumbledore's army together. And Neville has already taken on that leadership role. He's already taken that over from Harry. And here he is promising essentially to inherit the core task of Harry's final years of his life, which is to destroy the Horcruxes. So it, it made me think about the offering you had given for what reunion means from your story, which is that, yes, they're coming back together here, but it's really a continuation of something, right? They have been intertwined for so long that Neville was really never absent from Harry and Harry from, from Neville. This is just maybe the final moment they both think they will see each other. I love this moment. I love that Harry's like, oh, Dumbledore always wanted it to be three. And Neville's always been the fourth one, right? Since book one, Neville's been like on deck <laughs> to mm. be part of the trio. I think Neville always should have been part of the trio. And I think I also love that by the time Harry invites him in, like Neville doesn't need it. Like Neville's a leader in his own right. Yes. This isn't some like deeply meaningful moment to Neville where he's like, Thank you, Harry. <laughs> I finally feel accepted. Like Neville's fine. He's like, I'm organizing all sorts of stuff. Yeah. It feels like the two of them acknowledging it could have been either of us and it could have been someone else, right? Like it doesn't need to be Neville who kills Nagini. That's right. And like it didn't have to be Harry who became a horcrux and right. Like it could be any kid who was deeply loved. And yeah, it's just this like sweet 
conversation in the middle of futility. I also want to give a special shout out to Oliver Wood because yeah, he's cradling little Colin and he says, you know, they're carrying him together, he and Neville. And he says, it's all right, Neville, I've, I've got this. Because Neville's probably been doing this, you know, for at least half an hour, if not longer already. My king, Oliver. (laughs) So Vanessa, we're going to continue with our practice of sacred imagination. And... I will read the final page of this chapter. So there's a couple of characters to choose from. And as ever, if you're listening, I'll invite you to be comfortable either sitting or lying, closing your eyes, and perhaps taking a few deep breaths as we dive into this passage. Nobody spoke. They seemed as scared as Harry, whose heart was now throwing itself against his ribs, as though determined to escape the body he was about to cast aside. His hands were sweating as he pulled off the invisibility cloak and stuffed it beneath his robes with his wand. He did not want to be tempted to fight. I was, it seems, mistaken, said Voldemort. You weren't, Harry said it as loudly as he could. With all the force he could muster, he did not want to sound afraid. The resurrection stone slipped from between his numb fingers, and out of the corner of his eye he saw his parents, Sirius and Lupin, vanish as he stepped forwards into the firelight. At that moment he felt that nobody mattered but Voldemort. It was just the two of them. The illusion was gone as soon as it had come. The giants roared as the Death Eaters rose together, and there were many cries, gasps, even laughter. Voldemort had frozen where he stood, but his red eyes had found Harry, and he stared as Harry moved towards him, with nothing but the fire between them. Then a voice yelled, Harry, no! He turned. Hagrid was bound and trussed, tied to a tree nearby. His massive body shook the branches overhead as he struggled, desperate. No, no, Harry, what are you doing? Quiet, shouted Raoul. And with a flick of his wand, Hagrid was silenced. Bellatrix, who had leapt to her feet, was looking eagerly from Voldemort to Harry, her breast heaving. The only things that moved were the flames and the snake, coiling and uncoiling in the glittering cage behind Voldemort's head. Harry could feel his wand against his chest, but he made no attempt to draw it. He knew that the snake was too well protected, knew that if he managed to point the wand at Nagini, fifty curses would hit him first. And still, Voldemort and Harry looked at each other. And now Voldemort tilted his head a little to the side, considering the boy standing before him, and a singularly mirthless smile curled the lipless mouth. Harry Potter, he said very softly. I always like to lean in to Harry and Voldemort encountering one another over some sort of cauldron or fireplace. <laughs> um, <laughs> who did you who did you find yourself in this passage as? I was Voldemort. Mm. And it's like this emotional ride where he like can't, he's so arrogant. Mm -hmm. 
that he like can't believe he's wrong. He's like, I was wrong. <laughs> I've obviously had a lot of moments in my life where I'm wrong, but like the incredulity of like, I was so sure. And then he's right. Harry is there mm. and there's some relief. And then that curious smile at the end is I think Voldemort doesn't know how this is going to go. Voldemort is not sure if he's going to win. And it's like the first interesting thing that has happened to him in a long time. <laughs> he has been in control forever. And he has these sycophantic Death Eaters who will do whatever. And he's like willing to subdue Hagrid by force. And he just sort of can. And he's fairly confident in the Elder Wand being like cool. So he's like excited because he's like, maybe I'll finally be able to do this. But he is not sure. And I think he's super into the fact that he's not sure. That's fascinating. I mean, he's been shocked at how far they've come in terms of destroying Horcruxes, right? The fact that they know about the Horcruxes, the fact that they've found so many. He's been rattled the second half of the book. So I'm really compelled by that, that this is both kind of scary because it could all go wrong. And at the same time, he still feels he has the upper hand. So it feels exciting more than anything else. That's compelling. And he's still his Nagini, right? He's yes. like, I've still got two things up my sleeve. I've still got Nagini. I've still got the wand. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure how this is going to go, but I'm 95% sure. I fancy my chances. Who are you in the chapter, Casper? I found myself as Hagrid. I think partly because I was reading the scenes, so I was kind of seeing it from a, a further distance. And just his total heartbreak at seeing Harry show up here. He's like, what are you doing? Like, what? no. Because I think for Hagrid, we've always read him in this wonderful parental, even maternal role for Harry, which the instinct is always love first, think about it later. And he doesn't want to see any nobility in the sacrifice. All he wants is Harry to be safe. Yeah. And what I love about this is that we, you know, we've talked a lot about the four characters who are resurrected through the stone who have to leave him. But in the final moment, Hagrid is there. And Hagrid is the first one to bring him into the magical world. And, you know, as we do think in this moment, Harry is about to die. Hagrid is there to help him out of it or at least witness it. And so I just, I felt such a fierce protective love that I would do anything to keep him from what is coming. And it just makes me love Hagrid so much. Yeah. And this feeling of like, I did everything I could. Yeah. And I guess the other thing I noticed, I've never noticed that Harry says like, no, you were right. Mm. If I were Harry, I could imagine not wanting to say that. Be like, I'm here, but not because you told me to. I'm here because Dumbledore told me to. Like, I would not mm. want Voldemort to think he was right. And Harry is just like, sure, dude, you're right. <laughs> well, or he's playing in, maybe he's even in this moment being strategic, thinking that I know it has to be Voldemort that has to kill me. So let me play up this connection. Let me play, right? I don't think that's what's happening, but it, we could read Harry in that way as, as being mission-focused to the last. These last few chapters are just one big scene after another. <laughs> and uh, next week we'll continue with King's Cross. But thank you for stepping into this sacred imagination with me, Vanessa. We still have Narcissa. Yes! We still have the second best chapter ahead. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This week's voicemail is from Eric. Hi, Vanessa and Casper. Uh, first off, I'd like to just say that I am a longtime listener who joined somewhere around mid-book four, and it has been a truly incredible experience rereading these books with both of you. I just finished last week's episode for The Battle of Hogwarts through the theme of survival. In discussing Fred's death, Vanessa brings up that part of the text where Harry hears the sound of screaming that couldn't be from physical pain. A little over a year ago, my younger sister suffered a stroke from a rare malformation in her brain at the age of 27. This happened suddenly and with no warning, and I happened to be on the phone with my parents when the doctors entered the room and gave the news to my mother and father that their daughter was not going to make it. The sound of my parents wailing in such deep pain after learning of their daughter's untimely passing are some of the most chilling memories that I will carry with me for the rest of my life. This makes me think a lot about Harry, Percy, and everyone else in the area that hears Molly and Arthur's cries. While Fred's death is upsetting for so many reasons, I wonder if the characters who are in earshot are also haunted by that sound. Casper also raises that we never get to see how these characters grieve Fred's death, and it makes me think about how all of the Weasleys will continue to fight in the following chapters, with Molly even giving us one of the best lines of the series in her standoff with Bellatrix. With all this in mind, I wanted to send a blessing to any of our fellow listeners who are rereading Fred's death with a newfound grief. I am not in any way the only person who lost someone this past year, and I just want to send strength to all the Molly and Arthurs grieving a child, to all the Percy, Ginny, Rons, Georges grieving a sibling like myself, and to all the Harrys grieving a friend or close loved one. Thank you, Vanessa and Casper, for all that you do. I, I cannot wait to close out the rest of Book 7 with you. Bye. Eric, thank you so much for your voicemail, and I'm, I'm so sorry for your loss, and I so appreciate your blessing. For everyone who's lost a loved one, especially over this last year, I think it's one of the things that I love so much about 
the practice of sacred reading, and especially with these books, is when we have new experiences, you know, both joy and the deepest suffering, we see new resonance in pieces of the books because we see our own experience mirrored back to us in a new way. And it's why I love reading this as a community, because we rely on each other's readings to see the depth of what these scenes actually illustrate. And and you've done that so beautifully for us. Thank you so much. And thanks, thanks for listening. This week as part of our practice in remembering those who've passed from COVID. We would like to say the names Felipe Laxina, who is 68, a father and a grandfather. Frank Harrison, 72, who is a baker of hummingbird cakes. Ronald Mano, a family friend. Pamela Orlando, who's 57, and a devoted nurse, aunt, and sister. Rich Waltz, who is 66, a funny fireman, actor, volunteer, and husband. Eunice Sis Cornett, who is 85 and loved Elijah John Bedwell. And Dr. P. Dickens, an inspirational professor, musician, and friend. May their memories be a blessing. Thank you, Vanessa. And thank you, everyone, for sharing these loved ones with us and with the whole community. It's time for us to bless someone from these pages. And Vanessa, I'm going to ask you to go first this time. Who would you like to offer a blessing to? I would like to bless Mrs. Creevy. We hear a little bit about Mr. Creevy and how excited he is that his sons are at Hogwarts, but we don't really hear about her other than the fact that she's a muggle. I just can't imagine the grief that she's about to carry that her son like snuck into this war, even though he was under age and it was for a fight that she can't possibly have an intuitive understanding of because she's not born into this world. And so I guess I, I want to bless her for like her first few stages of grief of just confusion and negotiation and resentment and those early stages of grief, I think that we we focus so much on the later ones that like acceptance comes. But I think she, this is going to be a really confusing death for her. Mm. Like, why was her child required to be there? Like, why couldn't he have just like been in his local school? And I don't know. I just want to offer a blessing for people who are in those first few stages of grief. Who would you like to bless, Casper? I want to bless Harry. We've talked a lot about him as we should in this episode. And honestly, my blessing for him is just that he has to do something that no one should have to do. And I I wish he didn't have to. And I so, I so hope that we don't ever put someone in situations like this, you know. And yet we do. And yet people do find themselves in situations where it feels like there's, there's nothing that can be done. So... For anyone who feels trapped in that situation, you know, the doctor or the nurse back for another shift. <sighs> anyone who's keeping going, even though they just can't, I hope Harry gives you some some source of strength in this horrible, horrible time. 
You have been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook and find listeners who are discussing the episodes in the Facebook common room. You can join one of our local groups and come and join the community of people who are supporting us on Patreon. You get special Women of Harry Potter episodes in there once a month and other great goodies like Casper leading you in a bonus Sacred Imagination. You can leave us a review on iTunes and send us a voicemail and help make our new podcast at patreon.com slash not sorry pod. Next week, we'll be reading chapter 35, King's Cross, through the theme of trust. We are a Not Sorry production. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Boll, and we're distributed by Acast. Thanks to Eric for this week's voicemail, to Molly Baxter, Julia Argie, Nikki Zoltan, Megan Kelly, Stephanie Pulsell, and everyone who has sent in the names of their loved ones. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll be with you next week. <laughs> well, I was going to say, we don't talk about the author, but it does strike me that we have a character called John Kenneth Roll. <laughs> Who is a Death Eater here? Oh. I'm just making up his first names, but we know that his last name is Roll.